Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, there are times I think we get it precisely backward. What I mean is, we think of the spiritual life in exactly the wrong way. We think we have to impress God with our moral achievement. We have to impress God with our goodness to get God to love us. Deep down, we believe that God is a distant and demanding taskmaster. Our job is to do enough to impress Him. Thomas Merton called that the Promethean problem, by the way. Remember Prometheus stealing fire from the gods? as though the gods are trying to protect something. They don't want us to have it. Merton says, we're haunted by this attitude. We think that God wants to hang on to something that's his own and that we have to wrest it from him. This attitude is completely unbiblical. It's getting it, I think, completely backward. I think I've quoted to you before from Karl Adam. He was a 20th century German Catholic theologian. Carl Adams said, We Christians start at the top. Meaning, we don't start the spiritual journey at the bottom of the holy mountain and seek by our own efforts to clamor our way to the top. Rather, we begin at the top because we have been loved into existence. We've been loved into redemption, loved into the divine life. God's love for us always comes first. And the spiritual life, whatever it means, flows from that fact. The good news proclaimed from beginning to end of the Bible is that the spiritual life is not the story of our quest for God. That quest, whatever it means, becomes dysfunctional. It's too characterized by our selfishness and our sin. The real story of the Bible, from beginning to end, is rather God's relentless quest for us. God seeking with all his heart to draw us into the divine life. Why? Because he's love. Not because we've impressed him, but because he is love. That's the story of the Bible. To get into the spiritual life, therefore, in the proper way is to change our whole psychology around, change our attitude utterly around. Listen now, with this idea in mind, to some of these passages from our first reading, taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, some of the most beautiful lyrical passages in the Old Testament. Here's Yahweh speaking, God speaking. For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet 
until her vindication shines forth like the dawn and her victory like a burning torch. God loves Zion. That means he loves Jerusalem. He loves Israel. And through and because of Israel, he loves the whole world. This is God's passion to include us in the rhythm of his life. Listen again now. You shall be a glorious crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem held by your God. No more shall they call you forsaken or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight and your land espoused. Now, notice. Not because you've done great things, you will be God's delight. Not because and when you're morally upright, God will call you espoused. Rather, He simply out of gracious love is going to espouse you. Out of gracious love, He calls you my delight. Not because of our accomplishments, but because of His grace and His desire to share His life. Christians, think of it this way. God is not one more being in the world. There's you and there's me and there's buildings and there's sky and trees and God. Well, it doesn't work that way. God is the very creative source of all that exists. God creates all that is. What follows from this insight? What follows is it can't be the case that God looks out at something and says, Oh, how beautiful, how wonderful, how perfect. Therefore, I will love that thing or that person. Now, that's the way we work. You know, we see a movie and we say, how beautiful that movie is, and we're attracted to it. We see a person and we say, what a wonderful, charming person, and then we're attracted. That's the way it works with us. But listen, God is not a being in the world. God is the creator of all that exists. Therefore... It's not God who sees the world and then says, isn't that wonderful? Rather, it's God who says, isn't it wonderful? And it exists. It's God's love, God's grace always comes first, and therefore things exist. Therefore things are good. Therefore things are beautiful. God's grace is the cause of beauty goodness, perfection, truth. Those things don't cause God's grace. God's grace causes them. I think to move into the spiritual life is to move into that basic conviction, that basic appreciation. Your being, the fact that you're there, that you exist, shows that you're loved. Loved into being. Now, Isaiah goes even further. Listen. The Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder will marry you. Now, the language here is getting ecstatic. It's staggering in its implications. God's love has brought us into being. God's love sustains us in being. That's staggering enough. But now we hear God 
wants to marry us. What does that mean? Well, in terms of these ancient texts especially, when a man married a woman, it meant that he brought her into his life. He shared with her his name, his status, his privilege, his money, his treasure. He shared his whole life with her. He elevated her and brought her into his life. Can you see how startling these texts are? God saying, as a young man marries a virgin, so I will marry you. God loves us into intimacy with him. That's as close as the intimacy between a man and a wife. That we're trying to impress God? How can we impress God? Rather, this is how fully we are loved. That's the message of Isaiah, and it runs right through the scriptures. We see it reflected beautifully in the gospel for today, which I know I've preached on before, but I want to put it now in this new context. It's that wonderful story from the second chapter of John's gospel, the wedding feast at Cana. Jesus, with his disciples and his mother, are invited to a wedding. Why is it that in this very sacred text, the gospel of John, Jesus' first miracle takes place at a wedding. Because, Christians, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah. What Isaiah is dreaming about, calling for, longing for, that God wants to marry his people, now in Christ comes true. Who is Jesus but the wedding of heaven and earth? The marriage of divinity and humanity, what was anticipated in Isaiah, becomes a concrete fact in Christ. And that's why this first of his signs takes place so appropriately at a wedding. This is God's dream for us. What do we hear? On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. That little opening phrase, the third day, of course, is Christian code. Third day, it's resurrection day. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. This story, in some ways, is a resurrection story. What is the resurrection but the fulfillment of this dream that God will draw us into the fullness of his life that was attained in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? And so when we participate in it, the dream of Isaiah comes true. Jesus, his disciples, his mother are there. And then, of course, we hear that the wine ran out. It's beautiful symbolism. In a Jewish wedding at Jesus' time, it was a many-day affair. It might have gone on for two or three days, day and night. The wine was indispensable to the good cheer of the event. If the wine ran out, this party would run out of steam pretty quickly. What does it mean symbolically? The wine running out is a sign, symbolically, of our having fled from the divine intimacy. God wants us in his life. He's loved us into being. But we, in our sin, close ourselves off from it. We run away from it. And the result of that is our lives lose their joy, they lose their savor, they lose their excitement and enthusiasm. It's as though the wine is running out. 
It's a symbol of what sin has done to us. God relentlessly pursuing us, seeking marriage with us, and we running away. Mary speaks here for the whole Old Testament tradition. She is Isaiah. She is Jeremiah. She's Ezekiel. She's all of them. When she says, they have no more wine. Reminding her son, reminding Yahweh, the people have run out of joy and life and enthusiasm. She gives voice to this ancient hope. And of course, Jesus responds. Taking these jugs of water, he transforms the water into wine. Symbolically, it's very powerful. The water stands for all that we have, all that we can bring, all of our attainments of mind and will and science and passion, everything we can bring. Now, through the espousing power of God, this can be elevated to a new level, the water transformed into wine. How beautiful that Mary says to the waiters, do whatever he tells you. Christians, here's the key, here's the clue. God wants us in his life. Do whatever he tells you. You see, the trouble with sin is we keep running away from the God who wants us in his life. Mary, speaking in the name of all the prophets, says, do whatever he tells you. Cooperate with his desire to draw you into his life. We have a God who wants nothing but to marry us. He wants nothing but to elevate us, to transform us into his own life. If only we have the grace to cooperate with him and do whatever he tells us. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.